wireless. You gotta go old school, gotta use that microphone. Amen. It's good to be back in the United States of America. Um, you know, I'm gonna do my best Douglas Jacoby impersonation right now. Uh, I'm, I'm excited that I get to do something cool for you all because I actually went on a trip for Amen. All right. Uh, but I, the first thing I want to do before I share the message is give you a, a mission report. Yes. Uh, just like Douglas, my hero. Uh, but Chrissy and I and, and even the girls, we were able to go to the, the United Kingdom Singles Conference. Uh, we were the uh, featured uh, speakers or the keynote speakers or whatever. And uh, we were in, in very encouraged by the church there. Uh, really, it comprised really many different churches all over the United Kingdom. And we didn't really have a relationship uh, with hardly anyone. Uh, and so it was new. they were new to us. We'd never been to Europe before. Uh, so it was totally new. But I tell you what, because of the blood of Jesus, it takes one second to feel connected to people. And uh, I'm telling you what, we, were, we, we just felt the love the moment we got there. Uh, Tokes and Bola were the church leaders that invited us. Uh, they've been around the church for, for many years and know, know some of you. And they send their greetings uh, to you. And uh, it was just a really great time. So, you know, got some, some pictures uh, to show you. Uh, if, if they come up, I don't know if they, there they are. And uh, so we got some of the singles there. And uh, it's just a, it's a great, it was a great time. And uh, next slide is, uh, there's some, you know, we, got, we were able to uh, do a little sightseeing as well, which was cool, you know. That, that building on the left, I tell you what, when you go to Europe, it's a different world. So they're talking and you, 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 you hear that, yes, in 1194, in this building, you're like, wait a minute. 1194? You mean 1994, right? It's like, no. It's just amazing the history. Here in America, we think we're all that. We're like, we're the greatest, most powerful nation in the world, you know. But a couple hundred years, that's all we got. You go over there, they're talking about 1100, you know. Whoa. I went to London, we were on the, just on a riverboat cruise on the Thames, and and they're like, this area is, uh, you, you, uh, there's an ordinance that you cannot build anything in this area because supposedly this is where the Romans landed 2,000 years ago uh, to start Londinian or whatever it was called at the time. Wow. We're talking totally crazy, amazing. It was a great experience, but it was great to be connected with the church out there. And it was great to, to be around some single people who are striving uh, to live for God. And uh, we talked about what it means to have fullness in Christ. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about that today uh, in the message. And the, the, the title of today's message is, is actually it's called Metaphors of Maturity. And I've been studying the book of Colossians uh, a lot this year. For whatever reason, I just felt God had just, you know, called me to, to uh, study Colossians this year. And so I spent a lot of time on it. And, um, and I felt that, I, oh, thank you. Wow, Brian Goshel, to the rescue. Yes, my brother. Awesome. And um, as I was studying Colossians, that's with January and February, March in that time frame, uh, they invited us to go to the conference, uh, I think around May-ish or something like that. And uh, they gave me the list of classes they wanted taught, and they were all from Colossians. They had no idea that I had been just studying Colossians. So it, it kind of got me back into the book of Colossians, studying it even more to just be prepared uh, for the, the messages. And as I was reading Colossians more and more, I just kept running across how Paul would, would use these metaphors to really try to make a point. And so I'm going to just 
go through some of these metaphors because I do believe that if we internalize what Paul's trying to talk about, that we can grow spiritually as well. Because I know that's why you've come this morning. I hope you haven't come just to be entertained or just because good people go to church on Sunday morning. I hope you're here so you can grow spiritually. So even though you may have read Colossians or you know a lot about God and the Lord, I hope that you can have a humble mindset that perhaps one of these metaphors can help you picture something in your spiritual life that maybe will spur you on to live for God even more deeply. And, uh, and so let's go to God in prayer. Father, we uh, come to you this morning. I, I pray that we can have a, a humility of heart. Uh, I pray that we can approach these moments where we can come together like this as really sacred moments where we can learn from your word, where we can sing songs that can really help our hearts. And I pray that we can listen and grow and mature as you would want us to. Father, help the, the Holy Spirit to be powerful among us. And, and I do pray for those that are seeking a relationship with you. I know, I know all the time people Google church near me and, and show up. There are some people watching online right now, just searching, seeking. And Father, I just pray that you can use this time to minister to all of us and to help us grow and mature. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, all right, here we go. First passage I wanted to look at was in Colossians chapter 1. And uh, this is one that uh, I know we, we read a lot, and I love it. It, it. It'll never get old to me, and it's very helpful to us. And there are a couple metaphors in here that are one in particular that I want to look at. And in verse 28, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature or perfect, depending on your translation, in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And I want you to know how much I am contending for you, or strenuously contending for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. And, and this is, this is a, this imagery that he uses, he talks about strenuously contend or to struggle, you know, and this is really imagery from like athletics, uh, an athletic contest uh, to really to strive. And the deal is, is that Paul, Paul had never met these people. He had never been to the church in Colossae. So he's actually writing a letter to them. He's just saying, I'm strenuously contending for you. I'm praying for you. I care about how you're doing. I am trying to beseech God on your behalf, even though I don't know you personally. And, and, and I love that metaphor. That to me is, is a, is an, uh, shows maturity in the Lord. Who are you strenuously contending for? We need to strenuously contend for one another. And in what ways? We need to, I think we need to pray for each other to grow spiritually, to, to overcome obstacles, to have spiritual breakthroughs, to defeat sin in our lives, right? These are the things that we need to strenuously contend. Some of us are on the sidelines, man. We're not in the game, right? And I appreciate this metaphor because it helps us realize that maturity doesn't just come by good intentions. We need to strenuously contend for the faith, but also for one another. 
And that is how we can grow in our maturity as a congregation and I believe as individuals as well. There's a word in there, admonish, right? And we've heard it, we talk about it a lot. But I really liked this quote that I read about nuthateo, which is the word, uh, the Greek word that really talks about admonishing. And it says that positive teaching may not be enough. There is no telling what muddles Christian minds will get into from time to time. Can I get an amen on that? And part of the task of one who proclaims Christ is to straighten out confusions, to search for and tie together correctly the loose ends of half-grasped ideas, so that the positive teaching may not be instantly distorted upon reception, but may be properly understood, appreciated, and lived out. Admonishing. We need it. We need people to put to mind spiritual truths in our lives because sometimes we get off track. Sometimes our thinking is not spiritually minded. And we need that admonish admonishment from someone else. The problem is we just hate being admonished. We always like being right. We always like people to tell us that you're fine. You're valid. Whatever you think is valid, let me validate you. Well, sometimes our thinking is wrong. <laughs> And we don't need it to be validated. In, in a, we need it to be challenged. We need it to be brought into order with what is more spiritually minded from Scripture. And it shouldn't be, in a, it doesn't have to be a harsh moment. It doesn't have to be this deep, intense, why are you against me? You don't like me. It doesn't have to be that way. We have to be, in order to mature as a congregation and as individuals, we've got to get good at admonishing one another. We have to get good at it or we're not going to mature. So we have to learn how to admonish one another in the right time, the right spirit, with scripture, not opinion. And we have to learn how to receive admonishment without getting immediately defensive or immediately picking out the one word out of the 17 that they said that they could have said differently. Right? So we're not going to mature in our faith if we are afraid to admonish or to receive admonishment. It is a good thing. It helps the teaching that God gives us. But why? Why, do we, why is Paul struggling and laboring and strenuously contending in this athletic metaphor? I mean, he's in the, he's in the arena. He's battling. Why? What, I mean, what's the goal of all this? Well, the goal is really to, to help people, right? Let's keep reading. My purpose in chapter 2, verse 2, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now that's a pretty picture right there. Encouraged in heart and united in love. I, I, I would love for that to be the case in all our small groups in the church as a congregation. So the goal of all this admonishing and teaching and proclaiming Christ is so that we can be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that you know, they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, that's where wisdom and knowledge is found. I read this quote, all that God is ever going to do in and for the world has happened in and through Jesus. And that is how we need to see this world. And that is how we need to see Christ. We need to appreciate 
that Christ is the embodiment of all of God's wisdom. And we need to admonish and teach one another because we get off track on that sometimes. So let's go on to the next one. You ready? Verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Here's another, another one of the metaphors that is used uh, in the scripture. And what is this metaphor getting at? This disciplined and firm, these metaphors are more military or army, as if they're describing troops in battle. You know, and it, and it describes the, troop, the mindset of a troop and also the formation of troops. So there's this sense of orderliness, and that's where the kind of the discipline word comes in. And then there's this sense of steadfastness, like we're in a battle, you know, we're in an army. <laughs> and that metaphor, I think Paul, is, it's helpful for us too. Because again, we can forget that this is a spiritual war. We, we so get lulled into this comfortable world. But Paul's right into the Colossians. He's like, guys, this ain't no game. I don't even know you, but I'm strenuously contending for you in, in prayer and in writing these letters and in caring about you. And you know what? I, I do this so that, yeah, we can be united so you can understand who Christ is. And then he says, hey, look, I don't want you to get sidetracked by a bunch of talk out there. I want you to think of yourselves like an army. You got to be ready. You got to have a readiness about you for the warfare that is. It's an intellectual warfare going after your thinking. And it's a warfare going after your soul. You got to you can't just think of this as a nice group of people. And it is, and amen for that. There's a lot of nice people in here, and I love all you. Give you a hug and a kiss and all that good stuff. And are we family? Absolutely. We family. We love each other. We have meals. We hug up on each other. Amen. You my family. Every day I love you. But at the end of the day, we got to see ourselves as an army as well. We got to be orderly, and we got to be ready. That's what we're here for. We can't get sidetracked by all these crazy arguments out there about whatever else is number one in the world trying to take Christ out of the number one spot in the world, right? Trying to make him prominent, but not preeminent. You know what I'm saying? And so we've got to be ready for that. I remember when I worked at, uh, at Oracle selling software, I remember I was, yeah, I'm a 20-something-year-old guy. I don't know anything about the military. I barely knew anything about software, to be honest with you. And so I'm going into, I'm, a, I'm at an Air Force base, like major Air Force base. Literally, they were testing the, the, when the B-2 bomber and all that was, the, uh, the stealth bomber when it was new. And I was going to the Air Force base that was testing the, the data. So they were trying to use Oracle databases to store all the flight data so that they could run reports and see how these planes are doing, right? And so I'm trying to sell this software to these guys, right? And so I'm trying to be all astute and trying to, you know, impress this guy, like ask good questions. And, yeah, sir, so what exactly are you going to use this, this software for? I want to help make sure you get the right stuff. And, and basically he goes, let me just break it down for you, Jeff. He's one of those real nice, he's down home, just straight to it, military guys. He goes, here's the deal, man. We might buy all your fancy software for a bunch of different stuff, but at the end of the day, man, anything that we buy is so that we can defend this country and kill other people if they try to kill us. That's, that's basically what it comes down to. We're here to protect this country, <laughs> So we're gonna collect data in your databases, but you know why we're collecting the data? So we can make sure the plane operates in the way that we want it to so we can defend the country and protect it. That's what we do. 
It's simple, Jeff. Very simple. So pretty much any program that you talk to, any program director that you talk to, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to we need to have good stuff so that we can know how to defend this country and to protect us from enemies. I was like, amen. That was very clarifying. Thank you very much. <laughs> very clarifying. But we have to have that mindset in the church, too. There are a lot of ideas, philosophies, and arguments out there that try to get you off of what we're all about. What are we all about? Well, we're all about being in the image of the Lord Jesus. We are his body here on earth. We are to reflect the principles and the values and the life of Jesus in this world right now. That's who we are. Jesus, number one, always will be. That's who we are. And so we have to have that spirit and that mindset in this world right now. And so we've got to think of ourselves sometimes more, I think, as that orderly, steadfast, firm army for the Lord. And not just a great place with a lot of friendly people, which this is, and I'm grateful to be here. Amen. Here's a quote I read too. Paul is there in spirit, like a general, inspecting the troops before battle. He's keeping careful watch on their readiness for the spiritual and intellectual warfare into which they may be shortly plunged. Is this your mindset about the church and why you're here? So we've had, we've had strenuously contending, you know, and recently we've here have disciplined, firm. What about the next metaphor? And here, this is where Paul just does like a pap, 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 like four or five in a row, just bam, 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 bam. Like in one sentence, he's got like four or five metaphors that we're going to just unpack real quick. You ready? You, your mind ready? I just set you up for those two. Now we just got to go. You ready? Okay, here we go. Colossians 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Okay, there's a lot going on in this passage. We could spend the whole time on this one. But first of all, I want to talk about this rooted, because that's important. Roots are important, aren't they? You know, we need, you know, you can think of rooted as kind of like what, an agriculture, let's call it an agricultural metaphor. But roots, they do draw up that nourishment, right? So that that tree or whatever the plant is can, can grow. That, 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 those roots, when, you, when you're rooted, there's a strength, there's stability. And, and the way it's written is, is it says it's once and for all rooted. Okay, that's the, that's the metaphor that Paul is giving you right there. Rooted. I want you to be rooted in your faith. Getting nourishment from deep down, steady, immovable. That's the spirit that Paul is getting at. Does this describe your spiritual walk? In fact, we could have started with continue to live your lives in him, which really means to walk, which is another metaphor that's all throughout the Bible, which talks about just really how we conduct ourselves in this world. But rooted, what's the other one? All right, built up. All right, let's just call that architectural. You know, how we built up, well, built on the foundation of Jesus, right? The lordship of Jesus. Not just Jesus as a great teacher, but receiving him as Lord. He's master. He's running your life. When your selfishness wants to get you to do something, you bow down to the lordship of Jesus. And that's what you've been built on, right? That's what you need to, you need to live your lives with. That is your foundation. But you're continually being 
built up in that understanding of Jesus as the Lord. We must mature. We've got to continually build our character to reflect more of Jesus, grow in our faith. So he gives us this architectural metaphor as well. He ain't done yet. What about talking about as you were taught? This is kind of like an educational, kind of like scholastic maybe metaphor. You know, their initial teacher in the church was Epaphras. He was the one that taught them the truth about Jesus. But if we're going to be mature, we got we to gotta be committed to being taught, right? To being learners, followers of Jesus. We, we got to commit to that spirit. Like we can't ever just say, I got it all figured out. You got to always be in that mode of being taught. You know, I'm looking forward to it. Next month, we're going to have a sharpening our, our sword kind of midweek series. And we're going to try to try to really get down and, and teach in the auditorium here. And also, we're going to try to teach our small group leaders at the same time to train and teach. We want our small groups to be strong, but we know it takes training. But are you willing to be taught? We got to have that. That's another, like an educational, scholastic type metaphor. He's not done yet. Overflowing. Now, this is, maybe we can say this is from nature. One, one guy I read, he said it's, it's like a river that's overflowing its banks. One other guy said it was like a jug full of a liquid, the, 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 the liquid just flowing over the goblet. But I think a sign of maturity is our gratitude. Gratitude. Does this describe the gratitude that you have? Is it an overflowing aspect of your nature? Like gratitude just flows over from you. Or is it just like a little trickle? And you can always find something wrong but it's hard for you to really talk about the things that you're grateful for, no matter the circumstance. That's maturity. And when you study Colossians, thankfulness and gratitude is all throughout it because Paul says that is the sign of a truly mature person in the faith. That you can even be on a cross and have joy set before you and endure whatever you gotta do. And you can still be grateful for God, for living in God's will, even if it causes you pain and helps somebody else out, you can still be grateful. That's maturity. It's the, it's the grumbling, complaining folks that walked around the desert and died. You feel me? Gratitude is important to God. Let me tell you something. Don't just sing the songs for a couple days after you get rescued through the water. What about uh, a year later when you still haven't been where you wanted to go? Do you, are you overflowing with thankfulness? Or do, does somebody have to like write you a letter to tell you how awesome you are before you can say one positive thing about anything. Come on now, let's be, let's, let's get, let's let these metaphors work on us too. Not just the church that, that Paul originally wrote to. Lots of different metaphors that, that were given. But a grounded, growing, and grateful disciple of Jesus will not be led astray. Grounded, are you rooted are you being built up? Are you being taught and growing? And are you grateful? That's the type of disciple of Jesus that will not be led astray. Why do we need to worry about being led astray? You know why? Because some people are going to try to take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
That's a real threat. Now, some people think that Paul was saying the church there was being influenced by something called Gnosticism, which was a philosophy, a way of thinking, right? And, but others say Gnosticism really didn't come to full fruition until much later. So some don't really necessarily believe he's talking about Gnosticism here. I don't care if he was or he wasn't. At the end of the day, we got to know that there are deceptive and hollow philosophies out there in this world. Hollow meaning vain, useless, pointless. Don't have really a point to them. They're not going to help you in the end, right? That's what he's getting at. There are a lot of philosophies out there that are not going to help you. They depend on tradition, stuff that was just handed down from somebody else, or just the basic elemental spiritual forces of this world, which could mean like earth and air and water and all that, or it just could mean just basic core principles of, of, of life that takes deity out of it. But in Christ, all the fullness of the deity or God lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you've been brought to fullness. Not a philosophy, not a tradition that somebody taught you. In Christ. That's how you are brought to a sense of fullness, completeness. If God and, and all of who God is, which is beyond our reasoning and understanding, somehow allowed himself to be fully seen in a bodily form, in Jesus, that's right there, that's crazy. That makes your, my mind go scrambled eggs. But then when I think of in Christ, I get that fullness. What? All the fullness of God is in Jesus, but then I can be in Christ and have that fullness as well? Whoa, now that's what I'm talking about. No philosophy can give that to you. There is nothing else that can give that to you, but many things promise they will. Many things promise if you, oh, if you have this, oh, you will experience fullness. You will not lack anything in your life. It is great, right? And a lot of times those things have to be recharged, you know, and plugged in or else they don't work well, right? Technology is supposed to make you full or money is supposed to, oh, if, you, if, you just, if I just had more money, I would be so much happier, right? Relationships, it goes on and on and on. Those things are supposed to bring fullness to your life. And if you don't have some of those things, your life is not full and you're lacking. And some of us strive and strive to get these things that do not provide the fullness that Christ provides. And that's where some of you are stuck. And that's why you're not maturing. You're striving for career significance. You're putting, putting to the side your spiritual responsibilities because you think that in career significance, you will find fullness. It is absolutely a hollow and deceptive philosophy. It will leave you empty. It, you will develop patterns that will not help you in your life. And you will not grow in your maturity. And you will be susceptible to taken, being taken captive. Do you get that little metaphor right there? Taken captive. You'll be behind enemy lines. There are a lot of bad ideas out there. I went to, a, I was at a singles conference, as I said. Christy and I went. Do you know that there's a hollow and deceptive philosophy out there? That I'm sure none of you believe this. It, it's only in the UK, so none of, this isn't going to really a, apply to anybody, but I'll just share it anyway. There's a mindset out there that if you aren't married, then your life is lacking. So until you find a spouse, you're just kind of, you're like a second-class citizen. There's actually a mindset out there. 
So because when you get married, then wow, you, you get this deep companionship, and then life is really full. And then you have the possibility that you could even have children, and then you can really experience life to the full. And that's a philosophy. I know none of you believe that. But it's sad that I know some of you do. And, and I'm telling you, that's a hollow and deceptive philosophy. And it takes out a lot of our single brothers and sisters. And it messes them up. And guess what? Some of us propagate that philosophy to the detriment of our unmarried brothers and sisters. And we talk, we talk to them in such a way that we, we basically are telling them, your life can't really get started for real until you find somebody. And, and the problem with that is it seeps down to high school, college, and it gets in there as well. You need to gratify that aspect of your life. You need to have uh, you know, someone that you can have companionship with, and then that's what makes life awesome. But I'm here to tell you, that's a hollow and deceptive philosophy. You know what? It's understandable in, the, in, in Judaism. It's actually understandable how you could, you could get that way. It's understandable. Think about it. You got all these covenants that God has made with, with, with these guys. They were married. And guess what? It depended on them having kids. <laughs> it really did. We Noah, bro, love you. Be fruitful and multiply because we got to start this thing over. You got to have kids that have to have kids that have to have kids, okay? Right? Abraham, through your kid, through your seed, we're gonna, I'm going to populate the world with, right? I'm going to bless the world. So on a very practical level, <laughs> in the Old Testament, God needed people to procreate. And, and his major covenants were given to married people, right? They were married. And it made sense. But God has a progressive revelation. Does he not? <laughs> right? And so what was needed in the Old Testament, God could not keep his people going if they did not procreate and marry and stay in the faith. Ever read Nehemiah? When they married outside the faith, not good. He needed them to marry in the faith. Needed the boys to be circumcised. Needed that line to keep going. But once the New Testament comes into play, we don't need all that procreation to, to keep the world going. God can take a eunuch. Do you get what I'm saying? You know what a eunuch is? Eunuch ain't having no kids. Read Acts chapter 8. God can take a eunuch, let him taste salvation. He can go to his own country and father, spiritually father a whole nation of people, really. It's not about procreating in the New Testament like that. It's about who is willing to serve the Lord and bear fruit for him. The fullest expression, God chose to express himself most fully in an unmarried man who was willing to live for God's will and die so that other people may live. So we, we got to realize that even in Christian circles, we can fall prey to some of this deceptive and hollow philosophy. I try to tell the singles here, this is a great, you are a gift to the church. Do you know that the, 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 the Christianity is, is one of the only faiths that actually affirms singleness and marriage. It never says, don't, you know, don't get married, that's terrible. It just says, hey, marriage is beautiful, all right? And, and in fact, here's the deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a couple slides. You ready? All right. Check that out right there. This is a beautiful thing. Marriage is a testimony of the utterly faithful and unchanging love 
of God for his people in a permanent covenant relationship with him. Marriage is beautiful. It is affirmed in scripture. It's awesome, but so is singleness. Singleness is a testimony to the complete sufficiency of Christ for the present age, testifying that through Christ, life is fully blessed, even without marriage and children. It also points to a greater reality than the satisfactions of this present age by consciously anticipating the Christian's eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God. So we need to affirm our unmarried brothers and sisters. We need to tell them that you don't have to wait to have significance. You have it now. You're a gift to this church. Your undivided devotion is a fuel for more and more power in the church. So don't all pray to hollow and deceptive philosophy. I choose one example. We could choose many, but you don't understand how few examples and sermons that involve single people, just so you know. Sometimes they can feel a little left out, and I wanted to make sure that this is a message that all of us need to hear, and I want to make this argument as well. It's something that can help us with our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters, or those that are not in the church yet, that think the church has no place for them. How does that, well, what do you mean, Jeff? What I mean is this. There are unmarried men and women in here right now that are attracted to the opposite sex. But because of their faith in the Lord, because they feel that with the Lord they are sufficient, they have fullness in Christ, they live a life that is a light, that they don't need a relationship with anybody of a sexual nature. They don't need it because they have fullness in Christ. You see, if we can affirm singleness in the church, then, then people that are same-sex attracted, that well, they go, wow, there's a place for me too. You should, if you're same-sex attracted, come to this church and learn how to live for God just like those that aren't same-sex attracted because they have fullness in Christ. That's what we need to be preaching, fullness in Christ. You don't have to be married at all to have fullness in Christ. This matters to a lot of us, if you have ears to hear. So, as we close, are you strenuously contending for others, or are you on the sidelines? Are you committed to being taught and continuing to grow in your knowledge, or do you feel you've heard it all? Is your gratitude for your salvation, for your relationship with God, or for the church overflowing? Or is it easier for you to think of all the shortcomings surrounding you? Are you consistently being built up in Christ, or do you seek to find significance in other places, people, or things? You know, these are some of the things that we got to figure out as a church. And I hope that you can grow in your maturity. I hope that you can be so rooted in Christ that no one can ever replant you somewhere else because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take you out, uproot you, put you somewhere else, and give you some different kind of nourishment so you'll grow in another soil. So I hope you're rooted. I hope you're built up. I hope you're taught. I hope you're overflowing with gratitude. I hope you are strenuously contending for people. And I hope and pray that you don't mind being an army just disciplined, orderly, and steadfast, ready to do battle in this crazy world that gets even crazier by the minute. So let these metaphors help you in your maturity. And let us pray as we think about these things and as we take the Lord's Supper and thank him for the fullness that we have in him. Let's pray.
Father, we are grateful to come to you in prayer. We're grateful for the Lord Jesus. We are grateful that you allow us to have a relationship with you that we don't deserve. Father, we were dead in our sins and transgressions. You made us alive in Christ. And it was not with the circumcision that was done by hands. It wasn't just an external act. No, we were buried with Jesus through baptism in the death, and you, you, you raised us to a new life because that, 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 that's the power that you have. And we celebrate that. We appreciate the body of Christ. We are grateful. Our gratitude is overflowing for the body of Christ and for the blood that he shed. And I pray that as we take the Lord's Supper together, that we can celebrate his life, that we can celebrate that really there is no mystery anymore, Father. We understand you because everything we see in Jesus, we understand now. We know what you're trying to do. We know who you are. We know your character, your nature more fully because of Jesus. And we celebrate him. And I pray that we can mature in our faith so that we can help a lost world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.